Okay, we're on. Sweet. All right, good morning, guys. Um, I feel like I know all you guys, but if you don't know me, my name's Brock. I'm a counselor here in the high school class. Um, today we're going to be talking about 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, well, I'll explain the context here in a second. I just want to talk about the, the title of the, of the message. It's, it's Don't Build the Walls. And I'm only going to be talking about one verse. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the context. Um, we're talking about where we're at because 1 Kings is, is in like halfway through your Old Testament. We're just a little bit before halfway through. And, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the Old Testament that um, we don't really consider, especially probably as high schoolers. Um, God put the Old Testament in your Bible for a reason. So you know the history behind uh, things that happen, like Egypt, and what's the point of Egypt and the wilderness, and, and what's the point of wilderness and, and the promised land, and what, what does all that mean? Um, if you've never studied an Old Testament book, the New Testament's great. God uses that to grow new believers um, he uses that so you know what the church is supposed to go through and deal with and how we're supposed to um, operate in today's day and age. But, but these Old Testament books that we talk about that um, are preached on often are, are there for a reason. It's, it's bigger in your Bible than the New Testament because you need to understand the history behind how God dealt with um, Abraham and Moses and Solomon and David because they're for you. That's what, that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. It is, is there for your example. And if you don't see that, you're, you're, like, your history teachers probably say, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Sure, that's fine. If you don't know what Solomon and David went through and people like that, you will repeat it. Whatever cliche saying you want to put behind it, that's fine. But um, I hope today that when you're done, you see what I'm talking about when I say don't build the walls. I hope that if there's anyone that has... Um, has this in their life or sees this example that they, they continue to, to knock those walls down. God is really good at knocking walls down if you just allow him. And so as we go through this today and we talk about Solomon and we talk about what he did both well and really poorly, honestly. Um, man, I hope, I hope you make a decision today. So I'm, a, I'm just going to read the first verse. We're going we're gonna to talk about just, I'm pretty simple, guys, and we're just going to talk about one simple verse. But I'm going to read it and then we'll pray and then... Hopefully God will use it. Um, so Father, or I'm sorry. So First Kings chapter three verse one it says, "And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter, and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an end of building his own house, and the house of the Lord, and the walls of Jerusalem round about." Okay, now let's pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you for um, this day, and I just thank you for this time that we get to come and be um, in your church and edified by. Uh, the worship and the word and God, just uh, your people. And I just thank you for um, people I didn't know a year ago, like Hamdi and, and her family and, and Lord, visitors like that and, and these high school kids. God, I just pray that uh, you would be glorified today. God, that you would use this time. Um, Father, I'm, I don't have anything good to say unless you gave it to me first. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would set me aside and that you would speak through me. Um, yeah, God, let us not have any hearts that are against you today. Father, I love you. I praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, where are we at in the Bible? Because I'm not asking. I'm just, I'm just talking about it. But if we're, if we're looking at where we're at context-wise, like I said, it's a little bit before halfway in your Old Testament. Um, this is like 
several thousand years ago. And like I said, it can seem very abstract. It can seem very hard um, to, to see an application in this. But as we continue to look through this verse and as we talk about it, this verse is super applicable to the believer today. Um, but, but we're at the point where God is telling David, God just got done telling David, hey, Solomon's going to build the temple, right? So they're in the promised land. David's uniting Israel. He's working through all of these things that God has asked his children to work through this entire time, such as getting rid of all of the tribes that are in the promised land that don't follow after God. David's working really hard. He's laboring really hard. And God says, hey, Solomon's going to build the temple. And you're getting old, David. And, and Solomon needs to become king. And what, what, I, what I'm going to talk about maybe just a little bit is Solomon didn't deserve to be king. In fact, Solomon wasn't even next in line to be king. He was skipped, or I'm sorry, he, God skipped people to get to him. His older brothers, by lineage, deserved to be king. Maybe even consider Joab to be, who should have been king. But God said, I'm choosing Solomon. And, and we won't have time to look at the verse, but it was talking about his heart. And what he says is that, is that Solomon will be used to build the temple. And God is, God is at the beginning and at the end of time. So he knows Solomon is going to build this temple. Now, what happens in between is what I want us to focus on today. Um, but this is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Well, what happens in the first two chapters? Well, David anoints Solomon king, and Solomon um, is established as king, but he's not solely established as king. There's men who think, and, and in their own minds, rightly so, that they deserve to be king, and so they fight Solomon. And Solomon has to go around, and he has to battle for what's truly been given to him. And and that's what the first two chapters are. It seems kind of like, oh, and this guy fought this guy, and this guy fought this guy. No, if you pay attention to that, God's giving Solomon favor, and God's giving, me, giving Solomon victory that he doesn't deserve. Right? And God is showing himself to establish the kingdom under Solomon's reign, because that's what God does. And if God wants something, no man can stand in the way of that. Not at all. So, you end 1 Kings chapter 2, and it says, and, uh, verse 45 in 1 Kings chapter 2, And King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Je- Jehoiada, which went out and fell upon him that he died, and the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. That's it. The word of God has established it. The kingdom is established in the hand of Solomon. And as we'll see, Solomon does this really... Silly thing. And if, as the first time I read through 1 Kings, because I'm in 1 Kings in my quiet time, and, and most men will say, when you're studying out a book, especially to preach it, you should read it like 25 times. And so I went and did that one time. Uh, I don't know that I'll do it again. I hope I have the, the patience to do it again. But I read through this like 25 times. And every time I read through this verse, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's talked about a lot. Okay, cool, the daughter of Pharaoh. Okay, the city of David, we're in Jerusalem. But then I got to this in my quiet time, and I read this verse, and I started studying this out and underlining this, and God blew my mind just with, just with this little verse. And I hope by the end of this, you'll see this too. So, why is this so important? The significance of Solomon making affinity, this first part right here, and Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That right there, that word affinity means league. Solomon made a league with, the Pharaoh, with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Um, if you guys know anything about your Bible, you know that God spent so much time taking Israel out of Egypt. That was the whole thing. 
Israel was taken out of Egypt by God because, is, because Egypt had taken Israel as captives. And if you know something about God, it's he doesn't want anyone to stand in between him and his children. Um, so, just really quick, if you guys don't know this already, being taken out of Egypt, being taken across the Red Sea, is a picture of salvation, right? Egypt is a picture of the world, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. And God takes them out. He rescues them from the place where they're serving other gods that aren't the Lord. And he takes them across the Red Sea. If you don't know that Red Sea of Calvary, we can talk about that here in a minute as well. That Red Sea of Calvary, that blood that was shed on the cross for our sins, right? The picture of it, and they go through and they cross the Red Sea. That's something they couldn't do, by the way. God had to separate the waters for them to get across the Red Sea. And then they spend all this time in the wilderness, and if you've heard about it, I mean, the wilderness takes like five or six days to walk across, right? It doesn't take too long, but it took them like 40 years because they're childish. <laughs> I'll just say that. They're childish. Um, and so they get through the wilderness, and God is dealing with them. But here's the thing. Just as much as God delivered them out of Egypt, he spent all that time in the wilderness delivering Egypt out of them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's why this is so crazy. is because God spent all this time. I just told you, David is, is, is taking out all of the tribes in the promised land. So God takes them out of Egypt. He takes Egypt out of them. And he says, David, they don't do what I want them to do. And so you need to wipe them out. And so David does that. And then God says, hey, Solomon, build the temple. And Solomon will build the temple. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But he does one thing in between, and that ruins everything that he is supposed to accomplish. And if you don't know, Satan is pretty good at sneaking in one little thing that can ruin your entire walk with God if you're not careful. So, I'll give you a verse that talks about it. Uh, it talks about Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 this is, this is the reconciliation. This is the price that was paid for you to be taken out of Egypt. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, that's Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. None of that was done by you. The only thing you did was accept a gift. And if you haven't done so today, if you haven't believed on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I pray you do not leave until you do. Um, I'm going to go... So, so Israel spends the 40 years we talked about in the wilderness to get Egypt out of them. The next slide, um, we're going to be talking about Leviticus real quick. I know Leviticus is kind of meaty and it's chunky and nobody wants to read it because of the laws in there. But if you read in there, there's this really cool section uh, in Leviticus chapter 18 where it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. So God is saying, Moses, I want you to tell Israel this. I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, where you just came from, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. What this is saying is this. You can't do the things that they did in Egypt. And you can't do the things that they're going to do in Canaan. So you need to get this figured out here. Exodus is the leaving. Leviticus is the law and the purifying. And Deuteronomy is the law reviewed. 
right? I know that's a lot, but, but God is saying, hey, I took you out. I'm purifying you, and I'm letting you know about what I took you from and what I saved you from. So when you go into Canaan, you don't forget where you came from. And that's what this is all about. So, so when we go back to the idea of 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1, and the first thing Solomon does right before he builds the temple is he says, hey, uh, Pharaoh, let's make a league together. No. I just told you God made Solomon king, not Pharaoh, not even Solomon. God made Solomon king. And the thing that we've got to get our heads wrapped around is if God made you do that thing, if God told you to do that thing, well, he dang well will keep you in that thing that he has you to do. This isn't even a good move militarily. Solomon and Israel is the, is the greatest military force on the earth right now, and it's not even close. This makes no sense except for the fact that Solomon is concerned about his own reign and probably still didn't take care of some issues when he was younger. Still didn't take care of that love of the world that we'll talk about here in a minute. And man, you guys are in, you guys are in high school. Some of you guys are 15 years old and you haven't sinned great sins. You've sinned, but you haven't sinned great sins. And we'll talk about that. And this is the time for you to get your heart right before the Lord, before all that stuff does happen. Because I can promise you as someone who didn't get saved until he was 22 and sinned great sins before he got saved, man, I wish I got saved at 15. Man, I wish I loved the Lord at 15 and knew his word and walked in it and got discipled at 18. And the best time to not, the best time to get rid of the world is when it's not really dwelt in your heart long. When it's not really stuck there. God spends 500 years, 500 years almost, getting Israel out of Egypt and getting Egypt out of Israel. And Solomon invites them back in immediately. So our first key point, God saved you from spiritual death and he saved you to a purified life. You were saved from something. You were saved from sin and death. That song that Tegan sang where she says, they said, I was bound for hell. I was bound for death. That's true. But life came? Man, that's it. It's not just that God saved you from yourself. He also saved you towards Him. And that's what I hope we get here today. It wasn't just about leaving Egypt. It was about going into the promised land. About going into the promises that God has for us. And that includes being purified. So... Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he took Pharaoh's daughter. So that's the second part. Um, God is using Solomon for this purified life, whether he wants, well, whether he wants to or not, yes. But um, he wants Solomon to want this as well. And we should want a purified life. The temple was a place in the Old Testament, I want us to get this, where, where people went when they followed Jehovah God, right? And they went and they sacrificed. You guys don't have to sacrifice things because Jesus Christ was the sacrifice on the cross. John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Okay? So, we don't sacrifice to God anymore because Jesus paid the price for all of us. We sing those songs. We believe those verses. And, and that's going to be important. But the priest would also go and atone for Israel as a whole. Right? And the temple pictures the sanctified believer. Consider this verse. You've heard this verse before. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 
what? This is, this is Paul talking to a group of former Jews. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, so God's spending all this time, and God's working through Israel. And, and, and what I want you to see today is that God did the same thing with you and me. If, if you're saved in this room right now, God bought you with a price. He worked you through the wilderness. Maybe you're still in the wilderness. That's okay. It's, no one's mad at you for being in the wilderness still. I know adults who are still in the wilderness and in their 50s. They're still struggling with the same things because they never let God purify them completely. He saved them from their sin. Joel's Bible study asked me about this. We were talking about this. Well, if I'm saved from sin, why do I continue to sin? Well, because you have a meat suit on. And that thing is just made to, to mess you up. That thing will continue to just try to get you to follow after a way that's right in your own eyes, not after God. And people will sit in this wilderness for way too long because they don't just give in to God. They don't believe that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. They don't see that price. If you saw that price, if we all saw that price, we wouldn't love sin. If we knew what Jesus actually did for us, the scientific death that he died, man, we wouldn't do that. If we knew the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, that's Romans 5. We wouldn't love sin. We would still sin because we're flesh, but we wouldn't love it. Man, don't love sin. Okay, so you cannot serve a God wholly until you go back to God daily and allow Him to purge you of your sins. I know I've said that a few times, but I want to drive that point home. If not, we risk allowing sin to continue to dwell in us and to continue to grow farther away from the plan that God has saved you to. Um... This is a daily thing. This is a thing I have to wake up every morning and say, I love God more than my sin. I love being the temple of God more than anything else. Um, so, I don't want to bash Solomon the whole time. Solomon's used mightily by God. Um, 1 Kings chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 2 we talked about. 1 Kings chapter 3 is actually a really good chapter. There's like this one verse. If you continue on and you read the rest of the chapter... He makes a thousand sacrifices and he sacrifices burnt offerings unto the Lord and the Lord smells it and he loves it. It's a sweet savor, similar to what Noah did when he got off the ark. And then, and then God appears to Solomon in a dream and he says, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, hey, Lord, I don't know how to lead these people. And that's the most humble thing I think I've ever heard. Solomon is established by God himself. God says, Solomon, you're my man. And Solomon says, hey, God, can you help me? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know which way to go in. I don't know which way to go out. Like Solomon is used mightily by God, even in the next chapter. He's a picture of Jesus Christ himself. Like Solomon is used well. But know this, that, that 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1, when Solomon makes finity with Pharaoh and, and invites his daughter in and marries her, and we'll talk about the rest of what he does. He screws up everything that God was doing for him. And we'll look. It's not until 1 Kings chapter 11 that you see that. We'll, we'll look at that here in a minute. My point is, is that Satan snuck that in there. And it took years. It took decades for that to manifest. But once it did, it's Solomon's undoing. And that what I hope we get today, man, what I hope we get today, 
is that we don't let sin dwell in our hearts secretly. That we just give that over to God. Um, the next verse, it's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I've, I've hinted towards this, but it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. If you know anything about lions as the king of the jungle, God's very clear with his word usage here. Satan is the god of this world, the little g god of this world. And he will continue to walk around. <laughs> and he'll continue to, to do this thing where he just wants to, to chomp you up. You know, Ken Morgan starts a Bible study in Gardner. You think, you think the enemy doesn't know that? <laughs> Ken and Aubrey say, hey, the Lord's being was worth being right with, and there's people in Gardner that are lost, and they need to be saved. And you don't think the enemy doesn't take notice of that? Man, we ought to be praying for our Bible studies and our Bible study leaders so much. Every day, we ought to be praying for them. If you haven't, don't, don't uh, beat yourself up about it. I forget to pray for the things I should pray for every day. But I'm saying from here on out, we ought to make it a, a goal to pray for our, our leaders at the church and our Bible study leaders here in the high school ministry. Because Satan knows that and he sees that and he takes note of them. So, having that said, our key point number two is this. Don't marry into the world. Okay? So our first key point we talked about was, was you were saved from something, you were saved to something. God has already won the victory. You don't have to do anything. You just have to keep walking with him daily. But as you do that, the world's going to keep coming back and they're going to keep saying, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you're 17 years old, you're 18 years old. You need to go to college and experience yourself. When you're 30, you can serve the Lord. <sighs> don't do that. We only have but a little time. And the world will tell you, Come here, hang out. Do things that you want to do. God will forgive you. Establish yourself first is what they'll say. Get your money right. Get your college right. All that stuff. And next thing you know, 10 years down the road, you realize you haven't really been serving the living God this whole time at all. And they'll get you to marry into the world where you didn't need to marry into the world. Because God established you. Because it doesn't make sense to put physical things over eternal things. Yet we do it all the time. Alright. Um, here, consider some verses about this. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. So this is the second letter to the Corinthians. I read you the first letter, where they said, Hey, you're the temple of the living God. And he said, you're bought with a price. And you're back a few years later, and it's 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter. And what he says is this. Wherefore, come out from among them. Still dealing with it. Corinthian church, still acting a fool. <laughs> the, the Corinthian church, in my opinion, is like the kid at like a, like a class that's just acting a fool. Like everyone's being normal. And like this kid's just over here like eating glue or something like that. And you're like, can you just be normal for 12 seconds? Stop eating glue. Like, what are you doing? You're like 15. Like, like what are you doing? But my, my point is, is he's still saying the same thing. You will have to deal with this stuff all the time. I know believers in their 70s who say, man, I still struggle with stuff. Man, it's still really hard. There's people that have been walking with the Lord for years in this room, longer than I have, and they'll test to you. You still got to tell yourself every day that the world isn't worth it. 
and that God is worth being right with. So anyways, wherefore come up from among them and be ye separate. That means you have to leave them and you have to go towards something else. And that something else is the Lord. That something else is the church. So be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And here's the beautiful thing. You give up a lot in your eyes, but what you get, and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You get everything in the person of Jesus Christ the moment you leave the world. Solomon had everything he needs, and you can look. He was the richest man. He was the wisest man. Even the secular world were considered him to be one of the wisest men of all times. Still to this day, in your history books, they'll say that. Even the world can't deny what God gave Solomon. And he had, man, he had everything. And you have everything in the person of Jesus Christ. The second verse that I have up there is 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here's verse 16. That's the critical part. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. Those three things you'll be struggling with your whole life. Your, the world, your flesh, and the devil will always be after you. It will never not until the day you die. That's why Romans 7 is all about Paul saying, I do the things that I don't want to do, but I don't do the things that I want to do. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. That's the key. Jesus Christ is it. So we're supposed to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. Just remember that. Okay. We're almost done here. We're going we're gonna to finish and then we'll have some time to pray because I want us to consider these things um, that I'm talking about today. Um, I, I spent some time on this in my quiet time. Like I said, it, it wasn't just something that I skipped over and, and read one day because I had to consider this too. God had to deal with my heart on this verse when I got to it. And if you're reading your Bible correctly, if you're studying your Bible correctly, there's verses you just can't miss and you just can't skip over. And you just have to deal with it as time comes. And I pray we do. So uh, I want one more thing to be, to be known. So we talked about the first two parts. And Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter. And then here's what he said. Brought, him into the city, brought her into the city of David, um, Jerusalem, the place where God is supposed to be worshipped. Solomon brings... <laughs> The world brings a picture of the world into the place where, where David ruled on the throne. A picture of Jesus Christ. Right? This is the place where God is supposed to get the most glory. And the most... Yeah. One day, God will rule. Jesus Christ will rule from a physical throne in Jerusalem. The city of David that's talked about in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1. And there's nothing that should be anywhere close to that in terms of the world. He does not deserve, Jesus Christ does not deserve to be on the same plane as anything else in this world. He will be exalted above all things. And Solomon says, before we do anything, let's just uh, bring her in here. I'm going to make her my wife. <laughs> wow. So, he brings her in, but then, it says, until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the walls of Jerusalem round about. And that's where I want to sit for a minute in. My, my title was Don't Build the Walls. 
And you can probably guess, I've been talking about it this whole time. Solomon brings her in, and then he builds walls around her. Okay, if that doesn't picture the believer dwelling with unrighteousness, I don't know what does. And where you're at right now in high school, like I said, you guys don't have those great sins. You guys have sinned, but you guys haven't built those walls around your sin. You haven't spent 30, 40 years entrenched in, in, in pornography or alcoholism or drug addiction. I hope not. So let's fix that today. Those little things in your life, that, that lust in your life that you deal with that you don't tell anyone about, that occasional drinking you don't tell anyone about, the, the anger, the malice, the wrath that you guys deal with and don't tell anyone about. Man, I didn't do that when I first got saved. And God had to deal with me on that. I spent some time in discipleship. And Jorge, my discipler, um, he just one day called me out. He was so loving about it, too. He, he's sitting there, and we're, we're having a lesson, and he's like, hey, man, this is great that you're studious and that you like to read the Word and you like to write. I wrote out every single word of my lessons. I don't know. I thought it made me holy or something. And I wrote them out, and I wrote out all the key points. And I had these cross-references, and I had these arrows and stuff and all these cool things. And I remember sitting... In his, in his living room, and he said, hey, man, this is really cool that you do all these things, but I can tell this is of works, and this isn't of the Spirit of God. Like, you're saved, but you're not following the Lord. And he was very kind about it. And I remember breaking down, man, and, and it was so crazy. It was like one moment to the next, I realized that I had been faking half of this stuff. And discipleship is supposed to be life on life. Jorge's a fantastic dude. I love that guy. God is using him mightily. And all he had to do was say, hey, you're, you're faking it. And then the word of God said, yeah, Brock, I've been trying to tell you this this whole time. And I wasted time, valuable time with Jorge, because I wanted the world to continue to stay in my heart. I was saved, but I loved my sin just a little too much. And I beg you guys, don't be in that place. When you sit down with your mentor, when you sit down with Jeff and Kylie or any one of these wonderful counselors, and they, they ask you how you're doing, man, be honest with them. You don't have to tell them crazy specifics, but just say, hey, I've not been in my right mind lately. I haven't been in, my, in the Word lately. I've been angry. I've been anxious. I've been these things. I get it. As a high schooler, it feels hard. It feels like every adult judges you because you're a high schooler. But it's important that you be honest with them. Because if not, it's going to manifest years later. And unfortunately, you're going to have to be honest about deeper, more serious sin. But if you, just let, if you just let God work in you, if you just separate yourself from that now, if you touch not the unclean thing, if you walk with Jeff, with Kylie, with Nate, with Tiff, with all these counselors in here, Josh, Jerry, any one of them, and you just let them walk with you, and you just let them help bring the word of God to you and you just take those things that you love and you just shed them as you continue on your journey through the wilderness, man, God will give you things to replace those bad things. He will be your father. He will be your sustenance. The, the, the thing about the wilderness that kills me to this day, in, in a good way, is that literally bread rained down from heaven. They're walking through, there's something like two million is the estimate today. They're walking through, and God says, hey, you guys want food? And then manna just rains down. And you know what? They actually get tired of it. Hey, God, this heavenly bread that you guys have, 
I don't want any anymore. I want quail. We don't have time to go into that, but it's their detriment. And my point is, God didn't let them walk through the wilderness for 40 years without sustaining them, without being there with them as much as he could, as much as they would allow him. All right. You got a little tangent right there. Um, Solomon builds the walls of Jerusalem around the daughter of Pharaoh. I told you Solomon had no, no advantage. But here's one more thing I'll say, and then I'll stop belaboring the point. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 1 through 3, God is talking to Israel. And he's talking about Egypt. And here's what he says. Woe to the rebellious children. So we're not starting off great. He already said woe, and he called them rebellious children. Saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me. Right? So he's talking about the, about the children of Israel. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with the covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame. Solomon knew the word of God. It's not the first time it's talked like this. We'll see. We'll see how Solomon fares out on all this. Don't let Pharaoh, don't let the shadow of Egypt be your shame. So, all that to say, key point number three says, don't build walls around the sin in your heart. I talked about that. I've, this has been my theme. Seriously, I can't say this enough. Don't defend your sin. If you don't have a love for the world, and you do have a love for God, build your walls now with God. Let God build those walls around your heart. Let Him protect what He's already done. If you do look in your heart and you see that the love of the world is in you, to now is the time to repent. Today is the day that you can repent from your sin and repent from your evil ways and turn toward the living God. Consider this, this set of verses for me. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8-10. through 10, It says, But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, uh-oh. <laughs> Crap, I'm on that list. <laughs> Some of you were like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm on that list. <laughs> um, yeah. Oof. It, you could spend time just studying out each one of these words. Put off anger. Ah, crap, I got angry the other day. Put off wrath. Anger can lead to wrath. <laughs> Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. You ever cussed? I'm not saying like saying the word cuss like Jeff does sometimes. <laughs> I'm saying like actually cussed. <laughs> okay, it happens. The flesh happens. My point is, you're given, you're given a clear task. Put those things off. But then here's the key. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And here's this, this word, and, is really important. So you're told to do one thing. Put off the old man. Throw, throw those old, filthy, wet clothes that you wear all the time, that you carry around with you, that are the old man. Take them off, and then put on new clothes. God's made you clean. 
He gave you brand new clothing. It's in the Bible all over the place. Do you remember the, the, the parable of the, lost, of the prodigal son? What's one of the first things he does? He's naked. He's, he's filthy. And he comes back. And what does the father do? He puts a robe on him. He covers him in clean linen. He puts a ring on him. Signifying power. God's giving you power. God's giving you, God's giving you righteousness. I already said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, we talked about it. He became our sin so that we be made the righteousness of him. Man, so put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge of the image of him that created him. I don't know where you guys are at in your quiet time. You guys already know I'm in 1 Kings. I told you that. I've done some, done some detours, though, because God's like, hey, you need to focus on Proverbs, and then you need to focus on this, and you need to focus on that. I don't know where you're at, but the new man, the one that you put on, is renewed in knowledge. It's not only knowledge. There's, there's other things about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, if you don't know, girls, if you're not in a Bible study, go to Tegan's Bible study. She'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit. My, my point is, though, it's renewed in knowledge. You've got to get up in the, in the morning and get in the Word. The battle every day is before you ever hit your feet to the ground. It's when you wake up, you open your eyes, and you decide which, which spirit am I going to focus on today? The spirit, or I'm sorry, which nature am I going to focus on today? The flesh, that old man that, that wants to war within me, or the new man that's renewed in knowledge, the spirit of God that dwells in me. God's already given it to you. The only thing you have to do in the battle is decide God is worth being right with at 6 a.m., which some of you just rolled your eyes and want to run away when I said 6 a.m. I told Joel's Bible study that I woke up at 5.30 on Thursday, and they almost had an actual heart attack. <laughs> some of them probably didn't even know 5.30 was an actual time. <laughs> like, like, and I don't do it every day. I try to give it 5.30 every day. Whatever time works for you. If you spent 15 minutes in the Word, man, God can use that. One verse, half of a verse. Sometimes I sit in a verse in my quiet time and I'll sit in it for a couple of days because I'll just dissect words and phrases and God will use that in my life. And he'll say, hey, but what about this thing? You need to cut that off your flesh. What about this thing? Oh, you need to cut that one off too. <laughs> oh, this, uh, this pride that you have right here, that's gone. It needs to be. Every day we've got to decide, take off, those old filthy clothes, that flesh. Why would you, if you're out there and you're working out, so Ken runs, I don't know, 175 miles or whatever, he runs across country. He runs a stupid amount that I'll never, Ken will have ran more in four years than I've ran in my entire life. <laughs> and that's great. But if Ken's all, all sweaty and nasty, which he will be, and he takes those clothes and he puts them in a pile, or maybe in his hamper, I don't know, um, and he goes and he showers, and he comes back out of the shower, and he puts on those same old clothes, you'd be like, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. But yet we do that stuff all the time with God. We say, hey, God, yeah, 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 I know you saved me from my sin. I know that I have this, this, I've been made clean, but those clothes, I like them. That world, I like that. Never mind the fact that you were bound for hell with that world. Don't put those clothes on. Be renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. You can't reestablish the image of God in you. Only God can do it. And nothing of your works will ever be able to accomplish that. 
So we talked about the first part, which is you were saved from something, you were saved to something. We talked about don't go back, don't marry that world that you were just saved from. And then don't bring sin into your heart and then build walls around it. Don't, don't fortify what God's already taken from you. And if you have to justify it a lot of times, you're fortifying something God already took away from you. Just a heads up. And then the last part, it's so simple. It's, it's, I can't give you anything else more simple. Key point number four. Build the temple. We, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Solomon has one job, build the temple. And you'll see, I, I don't have time to read all the chapters of 1 Kings in between 3 and 11, but, but he does that. And, and that's something to be commended. Solomon does the thing that God calls him to do. And that's awesome. But it doesn't mean that the whole time he had the right heart attitude. It doesn't mean the whole time that he was being used as, as much as he could by God. And that's the sad part in all of this. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But what I want to tell you is this. You're, maybe you're saved. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life. And, and you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. You're, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm just throwing out random things here. You're in the worship band. You're, you're in AV. You're whatever the case is. You're serving coffee today. You know what I mean? Like, praise the Lord. Those things are great. I love serving the Lord in my church. Because I love you guys and I want to serve you guys. And I want to be around you guys and have fun. Those are all fun things. But are you doing so with the right heart attitude? Are you both glorifying God with your life and with the works that you have here in the church? Or are you just doing those things because you know you're supposed to? Are you just doing those things because your parents bring you to church and you might as well do something other than sit in the back and make jokes? (laughs) Um, My point is, in all of this, is that we have this privilege, this opportunity to do a couple of things that the Lord has given us. And one of those is to be His temple, to be His, to be the reason that people glorify Him. The temple is for lost people to come to just as much as it is for, for the Jews to come to. The Jews are supposed to come to it to meet with God, to be with God. But the lost world is also supposed to come to that same temple in this, in this time period to also serve the Lord, to be, to be saved, to be cleansed of their sin. Are you that example? I, I can tell you I'm not always that example. And God brings me back to stuff like this. And then we have to go through, the Lord and I have to go through, sometimes with the, with the, with the leader. We have to go through why I'm not building that temple, why I'm not doing the thing. Why is God not getting glory out of your life, Brock? Oh, because you built walls around your heart. And because you let the Lord, or because you let the world in just a little bit. Satan was roaring and he snuck that little thing in there. (sighs) Okay. So, now we're going to look at this last little part and I'll be done yabbering in just a second. So, consequences of Solomon's sin. So, here we are. Solomon spent all this time, I just told you, building the temple. He's got ten chapters where he's establishing his throne. He's asking for wisdom. He's, He's causing the peace, right, that God wants throughout all of the world. There's never a war. I just want you guys to understand that. There's never a war in Solomon's reign. Solomon, whose father spent the whole time in war, Solomon doesn't have a war because God doesn't want him to do anything except for build that temple. That's so significant. I wish I had time to talk about that. I don't. That's literally God gave 
Solomon one job. When people say, like, you had one job, literally his job was to build the temple. And your one job specifically is to glorify the Lord. Now, there's a lot of little things in that. There's a lot of, of nuances. There's a lot of specific things. But you're supposed to glorify God above all else. That's why you were created. That's why God saved you from Egypt. It's not because you deserved it. It's because he deserves all glory and all honor and all everything. So I say all that to say this. Solomon spends 10 chapters doing this one thing. And you go through and you get to the end of chapter 10. And I was listening to it on my way in here. And, it, and God specifically counts out all the riches Solomon had, all of the wealth, all of the wives, all of the livestock. If historians have gone back and figured out that according to inflation, he'd be the most richest man in the world ever. Solomon had everything. And you get to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. And here's the key. But, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. So God said, I gave Solomon all of these things. I did all of these things for Solomon. And the very first thing, 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 says, is, but, Solomon loved, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with who? The daughter of Pharaoh. Eight chapters from the time that he married her to the time that she manifested as his exact problem. He reigned for 40 years. But that whole time he reigned, his reign is beginning to be established. And King Solomon brings in the daughter of Pharaoh. And the Bible will say that that's his undoing. If you read all of 1 Kings chapter 11, you'll find out that Solomon, that God let Solomon be killed by who? Pharaoh. It was Solomon's undoing that he let the world into his heart. So we'll continue on though. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edenites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Here's the key. Solomon clave unto these in love. That word clave is significant. Study that word out. <laughs> Wives cleave to their husbands. <laughs> we cleave to the Lord. Solomon cleaved to the daughters of this world. It's not the place for any believer to be. Okay. Verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. That's, man, this is so significant. Like I said, David spent all this time setting everything up. He laid the foundation. He, he does the work. He specifically is used by God. Man, I just knocked it off my God uses the weak things, guys. I'm one of them. Um, God's using David mightily in in the in Israel and in all of the world. The world is blessed by David specifically. Okay? And you get to the end and, and God says, Hey David, you have too much blood on your hands. You're not going to build the temple. Solomon will. And God and David says, Man, first Chronicles 17, he says, Hey, um, God, I I understand. And, and let your throne be established forever. Let your reign be established forever. Just give my son a perfect heart. 
And Solomon is given a perfect heart. And Solomon is given the tools to follow the Lord. And he starts doing that like we talked about. And you get to hear it. And it just bums me out every time I read this. At the very end, Solomon claved unto these in love, and he had all these wives. But verse 4, For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. Well, why wasn't it perfect? Was it perfect because God didn't make it perfect? Was it perfect because God doesn't do things well? No. It was, perf- it was not perfect before the Lord any longer because Solomon let his heart get that way. Because his wives turned his heart away from God. Man. And again, like I said, God lets Solomon have his way. Okay, you want the world? You really want all these wives? You really want these things that I haven't given you? I've given you everything, Solomon. And you don't want those things? It will be your end. And if you're not careful, believer, it'll be your end too. The Bible is very clear that, that God allows us to go through things and to be chastised because we're his children. And I don't know where you're at today, but if you're in unrepentant sin, I don't mean if you sin because everyone sins. Like I told you, I've got sin in my life. I'm not up here preaching some message I don't get tore up by every single time. But if you have unrepentant sin in your life, you're begging God to chastise you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you're his child, and he will do so. And he will always want you to come back. He will always stand at the, at the end of that driveway like the dad was with the prodigal son, and he'll be waiting for you. But he will let you reap the consequences first like he let Solomon do. Man, Solomon could have had many more years if he had just <laughs> let God use him and not marry into the world. So our key question, and this is what I want us to talk about as we're, as we're closing today, is, is the world keeping you from worshiping God? As we finish and as we have a few minutes to pray, I, I just beg that you would get in small groups. And maybe you don't even need to talk about anything. Just pray about it. Just ask the Lord, is there anything keeping me from worshiping God? What am, I, what am I doing that's getting in the way? What did I put in my heart right after I got saved at, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years old? Maybe you got saved two months ago. Great. And Satan stuck that little thing in there. He snuck that in there. He said, you need to establish yourself. You need to find your happiness. You need to live your best life now or whatever. They, I don't even know what they say anymore. <sighs> whatever that is, there's no shame in that. Yeah, it's not good, but, but don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Fix it. Give it over to the Lord. If Solomon walks out there and takes a sledgehammer and he slaps down those walls, man, God fixes everything in his heart at that moment. If he, <laughs> Solomon's in the place. He's doing the thing that the Lord has for him. He just has one little thing. And you're in the place. And some of you are doing the things that God has for you in ministry and in life. But have you checked your heart lately? And have you seen if there's anything that's keeping you from worshiping the Lord? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you guys to your groups. And then uh, we'll close in prayer here in just a few minutes. Um, and as we go into main service, there's a few minutes of transition. And you guys have counselors. You guys have leaders other than just me. Many smarter than me that are sitting in this room, walking with the Lord longer, who are wanting to talk to you. 
And if you have anything to give over, now is the time. And you know who they are. All right. Let's break up.